Hey, good morning, everybody. It is Friday, and this is Just Human number 173. I have too much stuff for this show, so I'm ready to go. I'm ready to get into this stuff, and I'm ready to uh, probably probably like get into a bunch of controversial stuff this morning and some not so controversial, but definitely, definitely some controversial stuff. And I'm, I'm just going to have to, I'm just going to have to do it. So we're going to dive right into it this morning. We're going to talk about the SCOTUS leak. We're going to talk about Trump and the vaccine and all that drama. We're going to talk about SBF real quick. Um, and then we're going to dive into some Seth rich files and uh, then we'll see what we have time for. Um, I have more stuff than I actually have time for, I'm pretty sure. So uh, we'll just see what we can get through. If you like the show, if you enjoy what I put out today, then please hit the thumbs up button over on Rumble. That helps me out quite a bit. Um, and share the show. If you want to do more than that, all the links are in my des- in the description over there for my Substack, Buy Me a Coffee, all of that kind of stuff, Benson Honey Farms. They're all, all those links are in the description and then also all of my socials, Twitter, true social, telegram, all that stuff. Follow me in all those places. If you want to keep up with what I do and, um, yeah, let's get into it. I don't want to, I I'm, re- I'm raring to go. Uh, last night I, um, I had a hard time going to sleep cause I was thinking so much about the Seth rich stuff and also the SCOTUS leak, um, to start, Let's go, let's go, let's hit this SBF thing real quick. Cause that's going to, that's going to be a really short one. Um, first, this is pretty funny and it's also true. Defense lawyer. Hey, Seth, like our SBF, whatever you do, just lay low and stay quiet. The less, the less you put out, the less the prosecution has to work with. Right. And then SBF immediately puts out literally spreadsheets of where he's moved money and tokens <laughs> around. Like this is like the worst post you can do if you're under legal scrutiny from DOJ, SEC and everybody I mean like what a stupid post for SBF to make, but I don't think SBF is all that bright honestly. Um I know some people have a theory that maybe he was some kind of honey trap like he's actually like he he was actually like the bait that got all these people. I don't really think so. I think I think he's more like the Patsy, but we'll we'll see. It's such a stupid thing to do. Um and not saying that that is what landed him in this, but this yesterday new charges were announced from the Securities and Exchange Commission. This is in addition to the charges they already have against him. New charges have been issued against SBF. Um, there's this, they're for fraud, they're for crypto fraud. So there's this one right here that is directly against SBF. But there's also this one against his partners, um, Ellison and Wang, who already had charges, they already had charges against them just like SBF, but they're cooperating in those other cases and they flipped. Um, it can be very reasonably said they did flip on SBF and ratted him out. Um, and also with this one, they're already cooperating. It says so right here. Ellison and Wang are cooperating with the SEC's ongoing investigation. So dude is in big trouble. There was another bit of news last night. I guess I might as well grab this. Hold on just a moment. 
Um, I I I haven't seen. Thought I liked it. Where is it? It was unusual whales. So unusual whales is a good follow for financial stuff over on Twitter. He's also on true social, but I don't think he's as active there. Um, so there is a report that a car crashed outside of SBF's home. Um, where did he put it? There it is. Breaking a recently a car drove into a metal barricade outside of Sam Bankman Freed's home in California. His lawyers have said with three men getting out of the car and telling the security officer guarding the home, quote, you won't be able to keep us out. They then drove away. Um, Sam Bankman Freed's family is also reportedly spending $10,000 a week on armed security. Now, I don't have a reason to disbelieve Unusual Whales. His reporting has been good, but there's no... There's no link. He doesn't put any receipt for the claim. And that's something that bothers me no matter who is doing it. I want the receipt for the claim. Um, there is this story from CNN where FTX founder says there was a security incident at his parents' home. But... It basically just says the same thing. Um, so it doesn't link to, did the lawyer say this in a press interview? Did the lawyer say this in a court filing? I don't know. Um, I saw last night. I haven't gone to go. I haven't gone to the docket to see if this is from a court transcript or, or what um, it says in a letter to Lewis to the judge right here. No, that has to do with uh, hiding the, identities of co-signers for his bond. So anyway, that that's the report. I haven't seen a video of it or pictures or anything to back up the report, but you would expect that this guy, after defrauding people of billions of dollars, he, um, he's not in a very safe situation anyway. All right, let's talk about the SCOTUS leak because that's much more interesting. Yeah, I see y'all in chat talking about Katie Hobbs and the boot. Um I I I don't I don't really put that much stock in the boot thing. Um I know lots of people do, and I understand why they do, but personally I just don't. So it may be mean something, but it also might just mean they twisted their ankle or had some kind of foot surgery. <laughs> so like it I just don't I just don't I just don't read much into it. Um okay. So we talked about was it last week? I think is when I think it was last week where we had the report that SCOTUS had um did, hadn't come up with any leads in the um in their leak investigation. This is the investigation into the leak that happened with the Dobbs decision, which ultimately ended up overturning Roe v. Wade. One of the biggest wins of our lifetimes, of our lifetimes, one of the biggest wins of our lifetimes, something that we were told for decades could never, ever happen. 
give it up. We were told that by the left and the moderates and people reportedly who were conservatives that were tired of hearing about abortion. All of my life, I heard, just give up on the abortion argument. Give up on overturning Roe v. Wade. It's never going to happen. You conservatives are stupid for even trying. It happened. Anyway, so we had the leak of that opinion back, the draft of it, back in May of 2022, which is massively scandalous because SCOTUS has to be secure. Um, it's, it's extremely important that SCOTUS is secure and that uh, draft opinions and discussions and things like that don't leak out from SCOTUS because if they do, then what happens, like we feared um, when this one happened, is that justices' opinions are going to get influenced by the, by the um, public's response to it. And like we saw with this one, judges can come under threat um, by people who don't, especially people on the, on the left, who don't like what, uh, what SCOTUS is looking at or what their opinion is, and we'll try and intimidate them into changing their opinion at the last minute. minute. So when that opinion leaked, that was the fear. But also when it leaked, I think for many of us on this side, we were like, wow, this is actually going to happen. We have a conservative court now, and it really does look like Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned. And it was. Wonderful. I'm still, I'm still giddy over that. It's still, it's, I, I'm still, I'm so happy that that happened, but, and it's not the end of it. Um, actually, Mac, I'm not, Never mind. I'm not, I'm going to get into enough controversy today. I'm not going to bring that up. All right. So anyway, SCOTUS has released a report on their investigation of that leak. And when we talked about it last week, they had narrowed it down to some clerks, and there were three clerks in particular who um, retained defense counsel. And after reading that, I was like, okay, it's probably going to end up being one of those. It's probably going to end up being one of these clerks, probably the one that was uh, that we first suspected back when the leak happened that clerked for Breyer, I believe, because um, they had ties to journalists. And like, yeah, I think I think it's going to be that person. Well, SCOTUS has concluded their leak investigation, and they don't have enough evidence to indict anyone or to determine who the leaker was. That's what SCOTUS says. Now, this is according to their report that the marshal did. Remember, SCOTUS has their own law enforcement arm, security team. They have their own investigative team. And SCOTUS, there was talk about SCOTUS bringing in the FBI, but apparently SCOTUS did not let the FBI handle this investigation. They did it on their own. They did bring in a third party to kind of audit their investigation. Now, before you react, which is what most people do to everything these days, is they hear a headline or a, a, a piece of a story and they immediately react. Try to understand first. Let's just look at what they say, because I think it's pretty interesting. All right. I already see people in the comments like, that's BS. They know, they know. Like, okay, you literally don't know if they know. <laughs> like you, like you literally, ha you're just assuming that they must know. Um, Listen to what they have to say, okay? Listen to how this investigation went. All right. In May 2022, this court suffered one of the worst breaches in trust in history, the leak of a draft opinion. The leak was no mere misguided attempt at protest. It was a grave assault on the judicial process. To meet our obligation as judges, we accept submissions from parties and amici. We engage 
advocates at oral argument, and we publish explanations of our final decisions. All this we do in the open, but along the way, though, it is essential that we deliberate with one another candidly and in confidence. This is true. For those reasons and other, the court immediately and unanimously agreed that the extraordinary betrayal of the trust took place last May warranted a thorough investigation. So they got the marshal to do it. Remember, we looked at the marshal last year when this leak happened. The marshal looked pretty good. Ex-military really looked like a good person to have as the investigator. After months of diligent analysis of forensic evidence and interviews of almost 100 employees, the marshal's team determined that no further investigation was warranted with respect to many of the 82 employees who had access to electronic or hard copies of the draft opinion. So they were looking at 82 employees who had access to this. Marshall's report and recommendations, which is what is here, in following up on all available leads, however, the Marshall's team performed additional forensic analysis and conducted multiple follow-up interviews of certain employees. But the team has to date been unable to identify a person responsible by a preponderance of the evidence. A public version of the report is attached. So there's a public and a non-public version. Now, it links you to page 17 right here. And wink, wink. Make of that what you will. I want to go down and I want to show you what the marshal did. So May 2nd, 2022 is when the leak happened. Um, investigation was initiated by the marshal. The investigative team consists of seasoned attorneys and trained federal investigators with substantial experience conducting criminal administrative, administrative and cyber investigations. The investigation has determined that it is unlikely that the court's information technology systems were improperly accessed by a person outside the court. Okay, so it's unlikely. They didn't say it's for sure. They said it's unlikely. After examining the court's computer devices, networks, printers, and available call and text logs, investigators have found no forensic evidence indicating who disclosed the draft opinion. They have conducted 126 formal interviews of 97 employees, all of whom denied disclosing the opinion. Despite these efforts, investigators have been unable to determine at this time, using a preponderance of the evidence standard, the identity of the person or persons who disclosed the draft majority opinion in Dobbs v. Jackson's Women's Home Health or Health Org, or how the draft opinion was provided to Politico. Okay, so not only do they not know who is responsible for the leak, they don't know how the leak was communicated or transferred to Politico. Investigators continue to review and process some electronic data that has been collected, and a few other inquiries remain pending. So it's not over. It's not that they haven't found enough evidence to determine who it was and how. This is their report. And they're saying, we haven't been able to determine anything. We have some recommendations for the court. But there's still a review ongoing. The investigation hasn't ended. To the extent that additional investigation yields new evidence or leads, the investigators will pursue them. So that's an important thing to note. It's not over. All right, I want to scroll down to 
they've got lots of recommendations here and all that kind of stuff. But I want to scroll down to page 17 that it linked us to in the one of the first paragraphs. They had everybody sign um, affidavits or sign a under penalty. They had everybody swear in and sign uh, documents say, stating that they they did not leak it and they don't know anything about the leak. All the employees had to do that. Um, they got records of printers from people's homes and copiers. They got records of all the computers. They got records from people's phone, their text messages, their emails. They got their internet search history. They investigated who had uh, who had um, relationships with anybody in the media. They investigated who had electronic copies of the draft opinion, who had access to them, and who had transferred them around. Um, they did a really thorough investigation here. They even they did they brought in another another team to do analysis on um, any electronic fingerprints. They actually took real fingerprints from employees. They tested everybody's fingerprints to see if they like just to log them one, but then also they ended up matching fingerprints to a device. And I want to find, where is it here? The investigative team also provided a printer that had been issued to an employee for use at home for analysis to determine if it had any print logs um, resident in the printer's internal memory. The lab attempted to examine the internal memory chip, but was not able to retrieve the logs. Okay, so that's a crumb right there. That's interesting. The investigative team received outside assistance with a fingerprint analysis of an item relevant to the investigation. They don't tell you what the item is, but they did. It had a fingerprint on it, and they analyzed it, but the fingerprint didn't match any other person of interest. The investigators also received outside assistance to enter in interviewing the findings of our investigators pertaining to the operating system event logs, general findings. And this is from page 17. At this time, based on a preponderance of the evidence standard, it is not possible to determine the identity of any individual who may have disclosed the document or how the draft opinion ended up with Politico. No one confessed to publicly disclosing the document, and none of the available forensic and other evidence provided a basis for identifying any individual as the source of the document. While investigators and the court's IT experts cannot absolutely rule out a hack, the evidence to date reveals no suggestion of improper outside access. Investigators also cannot eliminate the possibility that the draft opinion was inadvertently or negligently disclosed, for example, by being left in a public space, either inside or outside the building. I'm going to save my opinion for just a moment, although some of y'all may know it. Jonathan Turley, the Supreme Court's report indicates that they cannot isolate the culprit among the over 80 possible suspects for the Dobbs leak. It is an admission that is almost as chilling as the leak itself. It will revive concerns over whether the FBI should have been asked to take the lead on the investigation. 
The court is only a few blocks away from the world's leading forensic investigatory body. What is clear is that any hope for a deterrent on such unethical conduct has been dramatically reduced. Thus far, the culprit succeeded in not just leaking the opinion, but evading detection. The proposed changes in security are unlikely to meaningfully reduce the danger of such leaks. The nature of the court's work requires a free flow of drafts and memoranda. That is why we hope to achieve, that is what we hope to achieve deterrence, but it's not going to be, it's not achieved through ethics. Um, That's, we hope to achieve through deterrence that what is not achieved through ethics. Perhaps they should have brought the FBI in and had the FBI do the investigation, but I know that a certain contingent of people would say that would bad, and if the FBI couldn't find someone, they would have said, oh, the FBI knows they're just covering it up. Just like right now, people are saying, oh, the Supreme Court knows who did it, they're just covering it up. Now I'm going to trigger everybody even more. Peter Strzok makes a good point. You don't got to like him, but he makes a good point. I don't care how triggered you are. He makes a really good point. They didn't interview the justices. How, how, how do you do, a, how do you conduct a leak investigation without interviewing the principals, the parties who are actually writing the opinion? Every justice had a copy of that draft. How how is it that they interviewed all these employees? They did all of this forensic work. They looked at people's they took people's fingerprints. They got people's internet search history from their internet providers. Text and phone call history. 126 interviews but they didn't they didn't interview any of the justices they didn't even interview the justices just once mhm okay So the two leading theories, well, I guess three leading theories on this leak are one, as far as who it is, one, it was a clerk for one of the justices. Um, most likely it's one that clerked for Breyer um, is what I have, um, what I what seems to be the one, I think that's the person who had the closest relationship with the Politico journalist. Two, it's one of the justices who leaked it. But I have a third theory, and I'm not alone in this theory. I think... I think White Hats did it. I think a ghost did it. And the reason I think that it's because when the decision dropped, most of us thought that there was going to be, there were going to be riots. 
that there was going to be violence from the left born out of this leak, out of this opinion. And we didn't see it. Yeah, we had the guy that was arrested that was threatening the justices and all that. And there were some crazies or whatever. There was talk. But we would have expected riots, like summer 2020 type riots. That's what a lot of people were fearing. And the fact that this leaked early, I posit to you, may have helped the good guys map out those leftist terrorist networks that would have been involved in such rioting. And by leaking ahead of time, they were able to map those out and head off those riots. And then when the opinion actually dropped, we really didn't get any riots. And then from that time all the way through the election up until now, we really haven't had any rioting over this decision. The left has not, the the media and the, and the Democrats have not been able to get Antifa and BLM and all their the usual suspects to have a violent reaction to the overturning of Roe v. Wade, which is what we all would have expected would happen is that there would have been this violent reaction. And who would have been able to get in and out and leak a draft like this without leaving enough evidence for the, the investigators to even have a clue as to who it was. Be someone who was like a ghost operator, right? Now, Totally fair if you think, Kyle, you're you're wrongheaded on that one. That's that's fantasy. If you disagree with me on that and you think that I'm just fantasizing, totally fine with me. But I'm going to pause it right back to everybody who says, oh, they know they're just covering it up. You're fantasizing. <laughs> so we're all fantasizing and thinking we know who it is. Um. So it's all, it's fair. We're, we're even, all right. Uh, we can be, we can be even on that one and agree on that. Um, I think, I think that my suspicions that it was white hat operators who did this for very good reasons, even though there it's high risk, the risk versus reward was good. I think that that's just as, uh, plausible as anyone else's theory that, they actually know who it was and they're just covering it up because SCOTUS is compromised and everybody's crooked and you can't trust anybody and the whole country's going whatever. So like that's, that's what I think. I think we can just be even on that. Let's get, let's get even more controversial. Okay. I'm just going to trigger everybody today. So why not? It's Friday. I'll trigger everybody today. And, uh, and then I'll I'll sign off and I'll go watch racing this weekend because finally motorsports is back on Sunday. With the roar before the 24, Daytona. Okay. Oh, this is going to be treacherous. This is going to be so treacherous. I don't know why I do this. I don't know why I do this to myself. Yeah, let me, I need to, I want to make sure that this is not going to blow your ears out. So just give me a moment. 
I know y'all can't hear it. I'm I'm adjusting audio levels first. Give me just a moment. <laughs> Music and fiction. Thank you for the rant. Uh, yeah, I'm going to trigger everyone. You know, actually, I already covered the Bill Barr thing on Wednesday, dude. Like all all week long, it's been all week long. It's been like people yelling at Chris Ray, yelling at Bill Barr, and then now yelling at Trump. It's like, yeah. President Trump, I want to ask you about the vaccines. Uh, you know the base. You know MAGA well. They're not happy with it. The CDC is now saying they're concerned about a link to strokes in the vaccine. We've also seen significant spikes in COVID-19 deaths after countries introduced the COVID vaccines. We have these sudden death spikes as well. Look, I know you take credit for getting the vaccines to the American people in record time. I got that. Uh, will you acknowledge now, though, that the COVID-19 vaccines were not as safe or effective as we were told by the medical community at the time? Well, what I did is, first of all, there were no mandates with me. And right. I Okay, so the question was about will you say that the vaccines are not as safe as what the medical experts said they were at that time? That's pretty reasonable. I I would say that. I would say, yeah, these vaccines are not as safe as advertised, right? Like, I think we can all agree with that. They're not as safe as advertised. But Trump, Trump starts out talking about what he did. Okay, so he's not directly answering the question at first that was asked. He's talking. He's instead talking about what he did. I had absolutely no mandates, and the governors were allowed to do what they want. Most uh, most Republican governors did the right thing, and most Democrat governors didn't. You know, with the lockdowns and all the other things they did, including uh, their views of the vaccine. But I did. I was able to get something approved that you know has proven to save a lot of lives. Some people say I saved a hundred million lives worldwide. But I was able to get that done in nine months versus uh, versus five years to 12 years. If it ever got done, I got the FD. Okay, so where people are getting really tripped up, one of the places is that he says that he saved 100 million lives. But everybody is interpreting that, that he is saying the vaccines saved 100 million lives. He's saying that he did. ...to do things that they... It was it was pretty amazing what we were able to do. But as far as using it, as far as the utilization, I never demanded anybody use it. I never had a mandate. And I think that's very important to what? know. And I never had anybody, for instance, when I said, uh, you know, I never said close up. I never said we're going to close right. our country up. A lot of Republicans. Now, Florida did close for a period of time, as you know. But a lot of a lot of states, a lot of states run by Republican governors didn't close at all. And that was okay but, with me. I let them make that decision. What, what about the safety aspect? That's what. Okay, so I just want to point out that he's asked about the safety of the vaccines. That was the question. And he instead starts talking about how he didn't want lockdowns. He didn't want mandates. He saved millions of lives by getting us out of lockdowns. They would have had us locked down for at least five. Remember, if you take yourself back to the context of that time and what was going on at that time, what was being said is that it's going to take five years to develop vaccines. We're going to have to stay locked down the entire time, which would have not only destroyed the economy, the consequences of that would have been far more severe than what we have now because there would have been 
poverty and broken economies lead to so much more deaths. I think it's reasonable to say that there would have been much more knock-on effects. There would have been many more lives lost, millions, because of economies being locked down for five years. We're talking about a worldwide massive depression like we have never seen, which is what the, what the globalists wanted. They want that was they wanted the lockdown to last that long because they wanted that. It would have been so dystopian, and Trump saved us from that. By the Operation Warp Speed, which wasn't just vaccines, it was all sorts of treatments with Trump-backed alternative treatments the entire time. He never advocated for mandates. He never told people that you need to vaccinate your kids. He recommended against young people. He was against young people getting the vaccine. Um, we would, Yeah, we would still be locked down right now. And the consequences of that wouldn't just be the economy. The consequences of that would be people's health. It would be the quality of the life they were having. It would have been our education. The impact on education alone from just the amount of time we were locked down. We're still, we're going to deal with that for years. We have an entire generation of, especially elementary kids, who missed out on such and a crucial time in their life in their education that they missed out on because of those lockdowns and because of virtual learning and because of biting my tongue, teachers unions and the crooked school systems, those kids for the rest of their life, if they don't have parents in their life that'll and educators that'll catch them up, they're going to be behind in their education for the rest of their lives. And that has knock on effects down the road for them as far as their careers, as far as crime, as far as their quality of life. And then their kids are like, anyway, I just want to point out that what Trump is focusing on in addressing the vaccine question is the mandates and the lockdowns and how that was what he was fighting against. And that is what he was trying to solve. People are concerned about now. Do you have some concerns about the safety of these vaccines? Well, I always do, but you have to understand. There are the. Do you have some concerns about the safety of the vaccines? What is Trump's answer? He's asking again the same question. Do you have concerns about the safety of the vaccines? More or less the same question. What is his response? Of course I do. I always do. Let's listen to that part again. Concerns about the safety of these vaccines? Well, I always do, but you have to understand. Well, I always do. Is that the answer that people want? Isn't that the answer that people are demanding from Trump, that he expressed that he has concerns about the safety of the vaccines? He just gave you that damn answer. Sorry to be up. Sorry to be a, a little hyped up here. <laughs> sorry. Um, I'll calm down a bit. But he gave the answer, guys. He just said, I'm always concerned about what? About the safety of the vaccines. He just said it. That's so many people in comments and I'm seeing around social media are saying, why won't he acknowledge the safety concerns of the vaccines? He just did. There are the pros and cons. Uh, if you can read some reports saying it was the greatest thing that's ever happened and we saved tens of millions of lives. Then you'll read other reports. You'll say there was some 
problems with the vaccines sure. in terms of certain things, but but relatively small numbers. But, you know, you have many reports that say the vaccine saved tens of millions of lives, that without the vaccines, you wouldn't have. You have some reports that say the vaccine saved tens of millions of lives. There are pros and cons to the vaccines. This all sounds pretty reasonable to me, guys. You know, you would have had a, a thing like we had in 1917, where perhaps 100 million people died. Yeah, got it. I, have, I, I don't understand how anybody listens to this interview, this two-minute and 23-second interview, and is upset with Trump over it. I really don't understand. I think what he said is perfectly reasonable and easily understood. And so yesterday, when this clip started going around, which it was, it started out, you can see 121, oops, sorry. Um, it was posted 121 AM and, uh, chief nerd is where I first saw it. And, uh, chief nerd does a great job. No, no, no problem with chief nerd. Um, but I saw people reacting to it on Twitter, sharing this around and getting upset about it. And I saw lots of posts from people on true social and on Twitter saying that Trump is a problem. Why is he bragging about the vaccines? He won't talk about how dangerous they are. He's not going to win in 2024. He's going to lose support and just bat and then worse bashing Trump just outright. Um, his ego and most people are saying, his ego's too big. He won't acknowledge the mistake he made and people saying he's responsible for all these deaths and all this stuff. So I got off social media and didn't pay attention for the rest of the day. Right? <laughs> No, I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. And I got myself in big trouble. I posted what I really think is going on, that there is a concerted effort underway to blame Trump for lockdowns, vaccines, election losses, and anything else that the swamp can put on him. Don't fall for it. And I truly believe this. And I'm not pointing out anybody specific because I don't know that anybody specifically is involved in such an effort. But I do know that the overreaction and the blame game that is going on against Trump is being artificially ginned up by his enemies. And that people are going along with it and they're falling for it. Because they themselves are upset about the vaccines, and many of them are justifiably upset about the vaccines. I don't want to offend anybody or discredit or disparage or fail to you know, empathize with anybody who lost someone to the vaccines or um, has a vaccine injury. I don't want to offend anybody. On the, I, I get it. I have members of my family who got the vaccine. I don't know of any members of my family who got boosted, but I do know members of my family who did get the vaccine in the early days. And 
I worry about them every time I see a report of someone um, having a vaccine injury or having a heart attack or died suddenly, um, all of that stuff. Look, it makes me afraid. I think about the people in my family who got the vaccine and I worry for them and I pray that that doesn't happen to them. So I'm not, I don't want to dismiss any of those concerns and that people are upset. You're justified in being upset. You're justified in your concerns. But what I don't think is justified is that when Trump gives re- perfectly reasonable answers to reasonable questions to jump into a blame game and start bashing him and putting all the responsibility for it on him. One of the best things I saw um, that was shared on Telegram yesterday was that this was like Trump was basically felt faced with a trolley problem where there's a trolley on the train track and there's a fork in the train track and you can't stop the trolleys, the classic here. So y'all let me, I should have pulled this up. There we go. The classic trolley problem where you have someone on the, you have to, you, you right there can control which way the train goes, which way the trolley goes. And are you going to save these, this group of people, or are you going to save this one person? Are you going to make no decision whatsoever and just let it continue? Or are you going to make a decision that is going to save these lives, but it's going to cost this life? And I don't think this, this, this setup right here, this dilemma is that far removed from what Trump was actually facing. Is it lockdowns for five years? And the Great Reset is so much further along, probably further along than we could have survived as a country. Or do you make a decision that we're going to do emergency youth authorization for a vaccine? And yeah, it's going to be risky. It's going to be risky. Anybody, anybody who took the vaccine and didn't understand that it was risky to take a vaccine that was rapidly developed under emergency use authorization without normal testing, you know, you took that risk. Now, if you had to do it because of your job or because of travel mandates or whatever it is in your circumstance in your life, you're like, man, I have to do this. I don't have a choice here. I'm going to be destitute if I lose my job really feel for you. Like I'm, I'm really, I like that. That's horrible. That's horrible. But so is the alternative of there being no vaccine and all of us being locked down for five years and you losing your job anyway. I don't, there was no good option for Trump at that moment. There were bad, bad and worse, right? Bad, bad and worse. And what I see happening now what I'm getting at with this concerted effort to blame Trump is that they want Trump's enemies, especially fair weather MAGA and fake MAGA and the GOP establishment. They want to blame Trump for lockdowns, vaccines and election losses. They can't blame Trump for many things. 
but they know that if they can get Trump blamed for these things, we saw this at the midterms, the midterms, we won the house. Trump, like what was it? 90 plus percent of people Trump endorsed won their race. And immediately conservative incorporated and fake MAGA blamed Trump for other losses. We saw that play immediately on November 8th, that night they were blaming Trump, even though we had major wins. Blaming him because they don't want, they want, you can't, you got, can never forget. There are people that, that are in the MAGA world, conservative world that want MAGA as a group of people who reliably vote and donate, but they want MAGA without Trump. That is what they want. And now they're blaming Trump for vaccines and lockdowns. And I, that's, that's what I see happening. That's what I see happening. Now I'm of the person, my personal opinion right now, and I kind of get shaky on it from time to time is that what's going on between Ron DeSantis and Trump is kayfabe. Okay. That's my personal opinion is that I think that I think what's going on between Ron DeSantis and Trump is kayfabe. Although I do have some concerns about Ron DeSantis. Okay. But this Johnny MAGA guy, he makes a good point. Ron DeSantis refusal to acknowledge election fraud in 2020 and 2022 is more concerning than Trump not admitting the vaccine that he didn't mandate or recommend to young people was a mistake. Which one of these things is more concerning as far as a 2024 candidate? I think it's, I think it's a good question. I think it's fair. I think it's fair to bring that up. The other thing about Trump and this this blame game that's going on between Trump and his enemies, and this is my hypothesis, okay? I think that one of the reasons that Trump is answering questions like we're posited here the way he did is because he is baiting some of his enemies to focus on the vaccines. He's baiting his enemies to focus on how bad the lockdowns were and how bad the vaccines are because that's going to lead to them necessarily taking a look at big pharma and the experts who told us we needed to do those things. If Trump comes out and does what they want him to do, which is blame the vaccines for everything and, um, say they're bad, we never should have done it. If they if Trump comes out and admits they're a big mistake, right? Then they're going to saddle him with that blame even more. They're going to they're going to cement him. They're going to cement Trump to those vaccines. And to all the, and every time there's a died suddenly report, the MSM is going to activate and mention Trump every single time. Every single time a star athlete passes out on the field. 
whether it's whether they're vaccinated or not. Every time somebody has a fainting spell, every report of an injury, they're going to bring up Trump and Operation Warp Speed and try and blame him for what happened to that one specific person every single time. That's why they want him to acknowledge this and to start bashing the vaccine. That's why they want him to say Operation Warp Speed was a mistake. And I think what he's doing is he's making sure that he's baiting these people along into talking about the vaccines and big pharma and the experts and lockdowns. And I think he's doing it ahead of the Fauci files and of some other actions against Fauci, such as Rand Paul having Fauci in front of uh, the Senate or the house calling a house committee, calling Fauci up and uh, other people in the NIH and what CDC. Um, so I, that's what I, I think that's partly what's going on here. I also think we should keep in mind, and I've said this from the very beginning when, um, when we early on, when we started getting reports of vaccine problems and people were talking about VAERS and other things is that we have to be very careful about the psyops and the misdis and malinformation that is out there about the vaccines, because we've all seen it since the vaccines were rolled out. We've all seen various viral videos and reports and whatever claiming all sorts of things are in the vaccines that aren't in them and claiming all sorts of injuries that we have no evidence actually were caused by them. There's all sorts of mystics and malinfo out there about the vaccines. And it's very, very important to keep your discernment up because Trump's enemies are not above producing a whole bunch of fake reports to try and make Operation Warp Speed look worse than it was or make the vaccines look worse than they were. I'm not discrediting. I'm not trying to tell you that the vaccines are actually safe and everybody should get, I'm not saying that. I don't think they're nearly as safe as as advertised. I think they're an experimental vaccine that was rapidly developed under extraordinary circumstances. And anybody who takes it should understand the risk of taking an experimental vaccine. I would not recommend it to anyone. But we should also keep in mind that Trump's enemies could very easily hire a bunch of bots in some other country to flood VAERS with tons of false reports. And it would take it would take VAERS a long time to go back and figure out which ones were legit and which ones were false. And in the meantime, it spikes up all those reports and people screenshot that and share it around. You just got you just got to keep your discernment up. I think that as bad as people make the vaccines out to be, they're probably not that bad. Still wouldn't recommend them though. I did not listen to Chris Paul, um, his his most recent show. I haven't listened to it, but I hear it was very good, and that's not surprising at all because Chris Paul is very good. But I loved this statement from him 
that every sentence that starts with Trump needs to is wrong. That is a great thing to keep in mind. That every time you see someone start to write, Trump needs to whatever, that's it's wrong. Every time. Absolutely every time. And if you go by that, that's a good that's a good way of discerning who is actually um who actually has their wits about them in this stuff. Like Yeah. So It was an interesting day for me yesterday. I started many arguments. Um, and I really, I didn't even really like think that it would, I didn't fully, uh, I should have known better, but I stay by, I stand by what I said. I 100% believe that there's a concerted effort to blame Trump for the vaccine, everything related to the vaccine and to blame him for lockdowns and to blame him for elections and it's not going to be, it's not over yet. They want, they desperately want to sink Trump. It's really good. The whole topic is a great example of the expression. Understanding is greater than reacting. There's a whole lot of reacting going on. A whole lot of reacting. Okay. What time is it? 1025. All right. Seth Rich. We had some Seth Rich news a while back, back in December. And that was when we, like the most explosive news we've had out of the Seth Rich case in a long time. Now, this is a FOIA case. This is Huddleston versus FBI, where it's a, it's a FOIA case where they're trying to get the FBI to give over as much information about the laptop and all that. Um, oh, hey, Salt Muncher, ODA. Yep, you're right. It's a catch-22. They can't blame Trump for the vaxes being bad without admitting that the vaxes are bad. Absolutely. Absolutely. I saw I missed some rants. I'm really sorry. Um, I'm sorry I missed some rants. Let me scroll up. Let me scroll up. Thank you guys for your rumble rants. Um, sometimes I get I get stuck to a topic or geared into something, and I just got to go with it, and then I'll... I can't go to your rants because I will... I will get distracted and lose my thoughts. All right, before I get into Seth Rich stuff, let me, uh, I'm going to look at some of those rumble rants. Um, it's just me, says first, first Vax, BF, any infrastructure had same value before any infrastructure had some value versus the initial dangerous spike protein. The rest was too much. He didn't support, um, Incorrect war timing. He will say what needs to be said. He, yeah, yeah, he will say. I, I, I think that there, there is very much some truth to various batches having various problems and certain batches early on being more consistent 
and uh, higher quality than batches that came after that. I've seen some stuff that makes me believe that or that leads me to believe that. Um, but honestly, I, j- I just don't know. There's so much mystic and mal info out there. So much, especially when it comes to the vaccine, just like there was so much mystic and mal info out there about COVID, um, which tells you or indicate indicates that there are, there are a ton of dishonest operators trying to control narrative and trying to control information, um, which is why you, you got to be so discerning. Emerson Biggins, <laughs> Emerson Biggins, <laughs> Rumble ran. It could well bring down Big Pharma by exposing what they did. Yeah. How they lied to people and wanted to hide the data for 75 years. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, this there they may be this effort to blame Trump right now. I really have this feeling it's trying to get ahead of some reveal that's going to be very damaging to the people responsible for the vaccine. So they want Trump to attach himself to it um, in a way that makes it where it that when that that when that comes out, it damages him as well. Um, Got a guard. Thank you very much for the rumble rant. Luz Garcia, 1224. Thank you for the Rumble Rand. They say, totally agree with you, Kyle. I've been on, well, I'll just, uh, yeah, you, you're a smart person. Um, I've been on HCQ for an autoimmune, autoimmune deficiency, and once he mentioned it, and it was demonetized, it, it was demonized, yep. We have to take responsibility for our choices. I chose not to jab or mask. That's right. We are all responsible for everything we think, everything we feel, and especially everything we do including getting experimental vaccines. I saw somebody mention a landmine. Uh, Gunny Lee. Yeah. Yeah. Gunny. It is. It is. It's like all the, it's like uh, they keep on trying to get Trump to step on landmines, which isn't anything new. Like, please Trump step on this landmine. Please, please, please. And when he doesn't step on it, they get mad at him. Shelly says, why the constant kayfabe from Trump when his base is clearly demoralized? Most are not interpreting the kayfabe message as most only see what is being said on the surface. Okay. Because the kayfabe is about more than just keeping the base happy. And I don't mean any insult by that. But Trump's base is among, if not the most loyal base in all of politics. But Trump is doing kayfabe for various pers- various reasons, and usually it's not for the base. It's for his enemies, and it's for people in the middle and people on the left, because he's trying to get the consciousness of everybody. He's trying to get as many people to pay attention to certain things and get as many people to wake up about certain things. And he's also baiting his enemies into certain actions. He's also covering for uh, covering for people who are on his team who are doing certain things. The kayfabe is useful for various reasons, but he can't he can't if he operates simply under the premise of uh, he has to say things his base likes, then he's not going to be able to get people who are not his base. He needs to move people into his base at the same time. Um, 
So that's part of it. It, it, it's, it depends on what the circumstance is. But the other thing is that you say his base is clearly demoralized. I, I got to tell you that I feel, just my opinion, my sense of things, is that people are demoralized not because of what Trump says or because of the kayfabe. I think people are demoralized because conservative incorporated media and clickbait and rage bait media constantly blackpill them over and over again, 24 seven, 365. And I, in my opinion, one of the, the worst things going on right now, as far as MAGA, the MAGA based and because uh, MAGA base and just for the community is all the black pilling that goes on. It's relentless. And I th- I think it's uh I think it's worse than what the left does. You know, I I think that the fake news media on the left I have I think they're less harm they're less harmful to our cause than Conservative incorporated media who black pills us and tries to demoralize. Like if you go like so many conservative media and MAGA media outlets and influencers, their feeds are just yelling like their feeds are just negativity all day long. And if you pay attention to that stuff, you're going to be negative. Um, I can't tell you how much I hate it. <laughs> like I hate it so much. Uh, just constant black pills. Um, even when there's so much stuff to white pill over, it's like they don't even they and they even when there's like a good news story that we should be celebrating, they find the black pill. Um, what is it that some somebody may, said an expression to me recently? What was it? It's a regular viewer who said it, and now I can't I can't think of what they said. It's like. It was something like you can always count on Con Inc. to find the black cloud in the blue sky or something like that. Um, and it's so true. It's so true. Um, I hate it. I hate it so much. Um, okay. So, anyway, all right. Thank you guys for the Rumble Rants. I do appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, let's get on to the Seth Rich stuff. So the last thing we learned, the last big news we got out of the Seth Rich case is that there were actually two laptops that the Metropolitan Police are in possession of Seth Rich's personal laptop and that the FBI has a, a disk that is a copy, an image disk of the personal laptop in their files. And that is what this FOIA case has been about, is getting access to that. But we also learned, which was huge news, is that the FBI has Seth Rich's work laptop, and they have it in evidence because it is part of an ongoing investigation and prosecution. And we learned that back in December. We also learned it in the Missouri versus Biden, I believe it was in Missouri versus Biden case, um, where Elvis Chan, the FBI agent who was in San Francisco and handled the Seth Rich laptop for a time, said that it's still a part of an ongoing case. 
an ongoing investigation. Now, the blackpilling take that you can count on from conservative incorporated media is that FBI bad, they're covering it up, they're just burying it in an ongoing investigation so that we can never get access to it and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Well, if the investigation wasn't ongoing, it would be closed. And do you want the matter solved? Do you want people prosecuted or you just want the FBI to do nothing? Because it seems like no matter what the FBI does, conservative incorporated finds a way to say something negative about it. If the investigation is closed, then oh, they're covering it up. They don't care if the investigation is ongoing. It's a cover up. If somebody gets prosecuted, oh, that person's the fall guy. I mean, there is no winning with conservative incorporated media. They're just going to find the black pill no matter what. But the fact that there are two laptops and that one of them is in evidence to me is a very good thing. It's a very good thing. These are the new filings that we got right here. There's some interesting stuff in it. If you watch my show because you like it when I read legal filings, then this next segment is going to be for you. All right, so Brian Huddleston is the person who is suing, who has filed the FOIA and is after this stuff. And this is his filing to permit counsel to view evidence because the FBI submitted in camera, which means in private, before the judge, some evidence, some documents. And it was just the FBI's counsel and the judge who looked at this stuff. Um, Brian Huddleston is suing, is filing this motion here because he wants his counsel to be able to also see what the what the FBI presented here on July 28th, 2022, the court denied Mr. Huddleston's request to permit his attorney to review a document that had been produced by the defendants in camera. That means in private before the judge. The present request is an entirely different animal. On the first occasion. Oh, my gosh, I am. I am undone. Just said something hilarious and true over on rumble. They said, I need to promote the honey after kicking over the beehive. That is so true. That is so true guys. <laughs> shout out to Benson honey farms. Uh, they are a supporter of the show. And if you like what I do and you also like pure raw honey, that isn't pasteurized, that is just straight honey directly from the beekeepers. You should go to bensonhoneyfarms.com. Get yourself this big ass jar right here of honey and use rep code just human when you do. That helps this company out. These, these bee farmers who are MAGA and wonderful people, it helps them out. It also helps me out and you get some delicious honey out of it. I would also recommend to you the soap because the soap is really good and it smells awesome and it feels good and it's goat milk honey soap right here. They make it, and I love it. They have many scents or whatever. My fa- I like the um, coffee one. I got to say, the coffee one is really, really good. Um, that's probably my favorite, but I am a bit of a coffee nut. <clears throat> but they're all good. They sent, um, they sent me several examples of these or whatever, and it's good soap. I, I love it. Excellent suggestion. I am undone. I did kick over the bee's nest right there. So, all right. On the first occasion, back when they made this request, 
the court reviewed a document to determine whether that document had been improperly withheld from Mr. Huddleston. In the present instance, however, the FBI submitted a document as evidence to determine whether an entire computer disk worth of work and computer disk worth of other documents should be withheld from Mr. Huddleston. So that computer disk worth of other documents is from the personal laptop. Okay. They cannot get access. They cannot FOIA the work laptop that the FBI has an evidence because it's an evidence. You can't FOIA something that is evidence in an ongoing criminal matter. You can FOIA something in, in a, uh, in a closed case or things that are things that the government is required to report, but you can't get evidence. Um, so they're after this computer disk, the personal one. Now here's the argument. Mr. Huddleston cannot rebut the FBI's arguments with respect to the computer disk. If he does not know what is in the 302 form, a 302 form is an FBI interview form. So, it's just, a, it's just a form the FBI, it's what, it's what the FBI uses to log an interview or to log a review of evidence. Like it's just, it has information about them, um, about whatever the item is or the evidence or the interview. So that's the form about this computer disk that he wants. Furthermore, the 302 form, unlike Mr. Seidel's declarations, has not been submitted under oath. Mr. Huddleston has not found a single case where the government was permitted to withhold thousands of pages of documents from a FOIA requester simply by submitting a single unsworn document in camera and ex parte. And he defies the FBI to identify such a case. That's a strong claim. They're saying like, this is not right. There's, this has never happened before that the FBI has been able to block a FOIA request for documents by talking to the judge in private and submitting just this single unsworn document in plaintiff's response in opposition to defendant's FBI motion for clarification in the alternative, the reconsideration, the memorandum of opinion, blah, blah, blah. Mr. Huddleston identified at least three of the individuals whose names were redacted in the FBI 302 form that was provided to the court in camera. Aaron Rich, detective Joseph Della Camera and former assistant U.S. Attorney Deborah Sines. Assistant Attorney Deborah Sines is a uh, um, a well-known um, FBI uh, attorney who prosecuted a lot of like murders are her specialty, like really um, homicides are what she uh, is known for. Mr. Huddleston did so using publicly available material. Since filing plaintiff's response, Mr. Huddleston has discovered additional public materials indicating that um, Detective Della Camera was the detective assigned to investigate Seth Rich's murder. Footnote. Always got to check the footnotes. Detective Della Camera's last name is spelled differently among different sources, but Mr. Huddleston is relying on the spelling from the official MPD records. Um, and we're not talking about the FBI investigating the murder. You got to keep that in mind. The FBI did not investigate Seth Rich's murder. The Metropolitan Police did. The FBI's interest had to do with the DNC hack and WikiLeaks. On September 25th, 2020, a defendant in Aaron Rich versus Edward Butowski filed a motion to compel Detective Della Camera 
to comply with a subpoena deuces tecum for materials related to the Seth Rich murder investigation. And Mr. Huddleston has obtained additional evidence that Aaron Rich took custody of Seth Rich's personal laptop. It's very important to distinguish these things. Aaron Rich, I believe that's his brother, took custody of Seth Rich's personal laptop after the murder. In an August 6, 2019 podcast, Yahoo News Chief and Investigative Correspondent Michael Isikoff, who is a hack and cannot be trusted, stated, stated as follows, quote, It is true that Aaron Rich had custody of his brother's property, including Seth's laptop, which he turned over to D.C. police twice for examination. Michael Isikoff's Collateral Damage, Episode 6, Conspiracy Land. Beginning at minute 1327. Not going to worry about that footnote. One must wonder why Aaron Rich needed to submit the laptop twice and what the implications are for the chain of custody. It's a good question. Mr. Huddleston has noted previously that FOIA cases are unique insofar as the court may rely upon media reports for purposes of summary judgment, blah, 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 citing cases. Although Mr. Isikoff did not cite his source for the foregoing statement about Aaron Rich, the court will note that immediately after Mr. Isikoff's statement, one of Aaron Rich's attorneys speaks to Mr. Isikoff about the case. In other words, Aaron Rich cooperated in the media report at least through one of his agents. So you would think that he would, if that wasn't true, he would have negated that. In the, lost my place, sorry. Separately, Deborah Sines, that homicide attorney, that, that attorney known for prosecuting homicides, granted an interview about the case and then testified about that interview in a deposition. So that further backs it up. Given the fact that the FBI has redacted publicly available information on the grounds of privacy, it is highly likely that other redactions in the 302 form were improper. In any event, Mr. Huddleston's counsel should be permitted as a matter of due process to view the entire 302 form pursuant to an attorney eyes only protective order. Mr. Huddleston moves the court to issue such an order. Hopefully that'll happen, making a good argument there that his attorney needs to see this 302 form so they can make an assessment of whether or not this stuff is being withheld for good reason, for legal reasons, or whether or not they actually should turn this stuff over. He wants to he wants to see it, and he wants to argue with the judge about it, but he can't do so if he hasn't seen the document that they're going to have the argument over, right? So, now next one, this exhibit right here is a motion to compel and uh, defendant Matthew Couch served a subpoena on Detective Della Camera, MPD, uh, in Washington, D.C., thinking the following and all documents related to it. It has all these people right here. Conflicts between Seth Rich and any co-workers, any information about any conflicts that he had with co-workers or supervisors at the DNC, the alleged hacking in DNC in 2016, the spear phishing attacks on the DNC officials, representatives and members of people and people affiliated with the Clinton campaign, all of that. This is from, what is the date on this? I want the date. This isn't new. Let's say the date right here. I think it's new.
This is from Aaron Rich versus Edward Butowski, Matthew Couch, and America First Media. It doesn't, it doesn't have the date right here. This is older though. So they're asking for this information uh, related to all this and also all these people from Julian Assange to uh, Michael Isikoff to Will Summer, Matt Taibbi, Kim.com. Like it's got, I mean, it's just a blunderbuss of people. Vox, like they're just trying to get everything. Um, yeah. So that was, this is the exhibit file with it. And the purpose of filing this with it is they're showing this is where we got, this is how we're able to determine the information that is possibly on the 302 and determine that these people's names are on the 302. We already have this filing here that backs that up. All right, next. Now we're going to get to some fun stuff. Here's the major filing. This is a reply in support of the plaintiff's motion for clarification. As its name indicates, defendants, defendant FBI's combined reply and response to the pending briefing regarding Seth Rich's laptops, plural, merges two separate issues, namely the releasability of documents from, one, Seth Rich's personal laptop, and two, Seth Rich's work laptop. In order to avoid confusion and expedite matters, the plaintiff will address only the work laptop and related documents in this response. That is the document. That's the laptop that is in evidence. As indicated in the motion to clarify, the existence of Seth Rich's work laptop has been known to Mr. Huddleston for some time. And Mr. Huddleston fully expected that laptop, like almost any other laptop, to contain information of some kind. Well, yeah. The real surprises are as follows. One, after years of denials, the FBI has finally admitted that Seth Rich is directly linked to the hack of the Democratic National Committee email servers in 2016. Boom. Two, the FBI has been in possession of a report about Seth Rich's work laptop for nearly five years, yet purportedly, it did not discover that report until after Mr. Huddleston filed his motion to clarify. Three, the FBI had yet another technique heretofore undisclosed for hiding records from FOIA requesters. The second revelation is particularly noteworthy. The existence of a forensic report on the contents of Seth Rich's work laptop has been something of a holy grail among those who question the official narrative. Renowned journalist Cy Hirsch, and I'm going to play a recording from Cy, first disclosed his knowledge of the report in early 2017. And the Fox News scandal surrounding its reporting on Seth Rich that culminated in a public retraction of its Seth Rich story was based on the network's inability to satisfy journalistic standards that report that that report was real. Now we have... That's from CBS News. That's when they retracted the story. I'm going to play you the audio later on of uh, Cy Hirsch talking about Seth Rich's murder. One need only listen to the audio recording of Cy Hirsch's discussion of the report available publicly here. Actually, oops, I want to 
open it a different way. My bad. I have a YouTube video for it, but this did not want to open correctly. Just a moment. I don't know why they linked it that way. Um, actually, I know what I'm going to do. Give me just a moment. Cause I already have it in my watch history on YouTube. Just a moment. Lady Q, thank you for the rumble rant. Okay. Let me get here and turn my audio down for just a moment for y'all. All right, I got to warn you. Um, I got to warn you that, and some of y'all may have heard this audio before, but it's super important and it contains a lot of information that I'm going to break down later. Um, I'm going to play it while I go and refill my coffee cup for y'all so we can listen straight through. And then I'm going to come back and play some segments of it and pause and comment on it. Um, I have to warn you that there are, there is some profanities in this language. So if you're listening with the audio turned up and have kids around, you're going to want to put headphones on or something. So let me make sure this is not too loud for y'all first. Okay. There's some white noise on it that's kind of annoying, but you gotta listen, you gotta listen carefully to what he's saying, all right? Um again, this is Cy Hirsch, famous, famous journalist, who isn't a fan of Trump, isn't a fan of Trump, but he does have good sources. And this is his understanding of um what happened with Seth Rich. Um so you got he start, it starts out in the middle of a conversation, okay? So you got to li- turn your ears on and listen very carefully. Okay, yeah, I got you good to go. About the kid, and I'll tell you what I know. What I know comes off an FBI report. Don't ask me how, how you can figure out I've been around long enough. The kid gets, I don't think he was murdered. I think, I I don't think he was murdered because of what he knew. The kid's a a nice boy, 27. He was not an IT expert, but he learned stuff. He was a data programmer, but he learned stuff. And so he's living on one street somewhere. He's living on one street. He's living in a very rough neighborhood. And in the exact area where he'd been, there'd been about 10, I'm sure you know all this, there'd been about eight or nine or 10 violent uh, robberies, most of them with somebody brandishing a gun. And if his hands, I'm telling you, I'm sure you know, his hands were marked up. The cops concluded he, he fought off the people, tried to run, and they shot him twice in the back with a 22, small caliber. And then they, the kids that did it ran. They got scared, didn't take his wallet. Okay, so what the cops do then, and here's what nobody knows, what I'm telling you. Now, maybe you know something about it. When you have a death like that, D.C. cops, if you're dead, you generally don't just go, you have to find out what the mo- what's going on. You, you have to get to the kid's apartment and see what you can find. If, if he's dead, you don't need a warrant, but most cops get a warrant because they don't know if the guy has a, has a, a, a roommate. You need a warrant. So they get a warrant. 
I'm just telling you, there is such a thing. They go in their house and they can't do much with this computer. It's password. The cops don't know much about it. So the D.C. cops, they have a cyber unit in D.C., and they're more sophisticated. They come and look at it. The idea is maybe he's had a, a series of exchanges with somebody who says, I'm going to kill you, motherfucker, over a girl. And they can't get in. The, the, uh, the cyber guys do a little better, but they can't make sense of it. So they call the they call the FBI cyber unit. The D.C. The DC unit, the Washington field office, is a hot shit unit. The guy running the Washington field office, he's like, He's like, you know, he's like a three-star at an army base. He's ready looking for four. You know what I mean? He's, he's going to go with a top job. There's a cyber unit there that's excellent. Yeah. What you get in a warrant, the, the public information you get in a warrant doesn't include, uh, it, it, uh, it, it does not include the affidavit underlying what, why you're going in, what the reasons are. That's almost never available on um, um, I can tell you that the existence of a warrant is a public document 99% of the time. So um, they, and the same warrant, they call in the feds. The feds get through, and here's what they find. This is according to the FBI report. What they find is he makes kind of, First of all, you have to know. You have to you have to know some basic facts. One of the basic facts is no, there's no DNC or Podesta email. That, that exists beyond May 22nd, May 21st, 22nd, the last email for either one of those groups. And so this, so what the report says that sometime in late spring, we're talking about June, you know, summers in June 21st, late spring would be after, I, I presume, I don't know, I just say it says late spring, early summer. Uh, he makes contact with WikiLeaks. That's in his computer, and he makes contact. now. I have to be careful because I, I, I don't. I met Julian in Europe, Julian, 10, 12 years. I stay the fuck away from people like that. You know, I, and he said, invited me. And when I'm in London, I always get a message come see me at the Ecuadorian ambassador. And there's no fucking way I'm going there. I've got enough trouble without getting photographed by every fucking age. He's under total surveillance by everybody. And, but anyway, they found what he had done. He had submitted a series of documents, of emails some juicy emails from the DNC. And, you know, by the way, all this shit about the DNC, um, you know, whether hacked or wasn't hacked, but whatever happened, it, the, the Democrats themselves wrote this shit. You know what I mean? All I know is that he offered a sample, an extensive sample, you know, I'm sure dozens of emails, and said, I want money. That later... WikiLeaks did get the password. He had a Dropbox, a protected Dropbox, which isn't hard to do. I mean, you don't have to be a wizard, IT wizard. You know, he was certainly, you know, he's not a dumb kid. Uh, and they got access to the Dropbox. He also, and this is also in the FBA report, he also let people know with whom he was dealing. And I don't know how he dealt. I'll tell you about WikiLeaks in a second. I don't know how he dealt uh, with the WikiLeaks, the, the mechanism. But he also, the word was passed according to the FBI report. I also shared this box with a couple of friends. So if anything happens to me, you're not, it's not going to solve your problem. Okay? I, I don't know what that means. I don't know whether he was, anyway. But WikiLeaks got access and uh, before he was killed. I can tell you right now, Brennan's an asshole. Uh, I've known all these people for years. Clapper's sort of a better guy, but not rocket scientist. The NSA guy is a fucking moron. 
And they, you know, the trouble with all those guys is that the only the only way they're going to make it to a board or two and get, you know, by, by hired by SAIC to deliver some fat cat contracts is if Hillary stayed in. With Trump, they're gone. You know, they're done. They're going to live in their pension. They're not going to make it. And I got to tell you, guys in that job, they don't want to live in their pension. They, they want to be on board like they're make six hundred thousand bucks for going to four businesses. I have somebody. I have somebody on the inside. You know, I've been around a long time and I write a lot of stuff. I have somebody on the inside who will go and read a file for me. This person is unbelievably accurate and careful. He's a very high level guy. He'll do a favor. You're just going to have to trust me. I have what they call in my business, long form journalism. I have a narrative of how that whole fucking thing began. It's a Brennan operation. It was an American disinformation and fucking the fucking president at one point, when they they even started telling the press, they were back briefing the press. The head of the NSA was going and telling the press, this fucking cocksucker Rogers was telling the press uh, that we even know who in the GRU, the Russian and the Russian military intelligence service, leaked it. I mean, all bullshit. They were telling these. Two, I worked at the New York Times for fucking years, and the with the fucking New York Times that they have smart guys, but they're totally beholden on sources. If the president or the, NASA, the head of the CIA tells them something, they actually believe it. I was hired at the Times to write about it, to go after the war, in the Vietnam War in 72, because they were just locked in. So that's what the Times is. These guys run the fucking Times. And Trump's not wrong. I mean, I, I wish he would calm down and had a better press secretary. They don't you have to be so... Trump's not wrong to think they all fucking lied about him. I can tell There is so much to unpack in that audio clip. Now, the reason that it's included in this filing is that to what they say is to appreciate the importance of the report, both to those interested in the truth and those in power who want to suppress it. And he's saying, like, listen to this audio of Cy Hirsch talking about this. It was a respected and highly acclaimed journalist. He's someone of you know, deserving of respect. Please judge, listen to this recording and understand that we're trying to get to the truth of this and there is conflict. And what Cy Hearst is saying was going on is conflicting with the official narrative that is out there. And we're trying to get to the truth of it. Um, the FBI's belated disclosure of the existence of the forensic report and the related chain of custody forms raises new questions about the adequacy of the Bureau's search in good faith and prior disclosures and the lawfulness of its attempt to shield all information relating to the work laptop from the public disclosure under FOIA. Now, I really like I'm kind of like torn here because I want to dig into this audio clip with y'all. But I also have the rest of this filing to read. So I'm going to let chat decide real quick. Do you want me to continue reading the filing or do you want me to go to the audio and unpack it? And we'll unpack it, you know, sentence by sentence. Write down in chat. Do you want the filing or the audio? Whatever the first handful of responses are, that's what I'm going to go with. <laughs> hey, everybody's saying audio. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's that decides it.
Yeah. Lots, lots of audio. Everybody wants the audio. Okay. That's hilarious. All right. So the rest of this filing is interesting and I might read it on a bonus hour or on Monday or something. Cause it is interesting. Um, he filed that here and then he also put the audio in an exhibit, exhibit number one. He linked the audio again right here and that's where I got this. Um, I'm sure this audio exists in other places. If you want to find it and listen to it yourself, this is not the first time I've heard it. Um, I've listened to it many times. This appears to be a public one um, that you can find. If you, if you just search for Cy Hirsch um, audio, Seth Rich on YouTube, you'll find this right here. It's labeled audio two from debunking Rod Wheeler. I believe that audio one is either not listed or has been deleted. All right, so let's go to the audio. Now, remember what's, what Cy Hirsch is talking about here is that he has an inside source at the FBI. Um, he has an inside source at the FBI who went in for him and read the 302 and then told him what the 302 said. So Cy Hirsch is a, you know, he's a breed of journalist that doesn't exist anymore. Right. Like, or barely exist. He's a breed of journalist, like a gumshoe journalist, a classic journalist who goes to the scene of something and talks to interviews people and takes a bunch of notes and gets, um, copies of documents from secret sources and all this stuff. And, um, he's, he's a breed of journalist that is rare. Um, and he's an, and he's an, has an independent, he has his own mind. I, I have a lot of respect for him. Um, even though I disagree with his assessment of Trump and a lot of other things, I think that's fine. Um, of course, back at the time that he was uh, talking about this stuff in 2016 to 2018, I also didn't like Trump at that time, although I wanted to like him. I agreed with Trump in a lot of things, but I didn't fully understand who Trump was and how he worked. It took me it took me a little while to come over to that. I just liked what he was doing. I liked I agreed with his politics, but it was Trump the person I had a hard time understanding. Um so let's go to this audio. Let's go to the very, very beginning of it. Listen, to, we're going to unpack this. About the kid, and I'll tell you what I know. What I know comes off an FBI report. Don't ask me how, how you can figure out I've been around long enough. What I know comes off an FBI report. I want you to know, but don't ask me how I know. You you should know how I know about it. And I've been around, you've been around long enough. And you know, that's the understanding like he is like, I got an inside man on the FBI who read the report and told me about it. The kid gets, I don't think he was murdered. I think, I, I don't think he was murdered because of what he knew. The kid's a, a, a nice boy, 27. He was not an IT expert, but he learned stuff. He was a data programmer, but he learned stuff. And so he's living on one street, someone, I, I, he's living on one street, he's living in a very rough neighborhood. And in the exact area was where he'd been, there'd been about 10, I'm sure you know all this, there'd been about eight or nine or 10 violent, uh, not, uh, robberies, most of them with somebody brandishing a gun. And if the kid's hand, I'm telling you, but I'm sure you know, his hands were marked up. The cops concluded he, he fought off the people, tried to run, and he shot him twice in the back with a 22. Okay, so it is true. These are all true facts. Seth Rich was lived in a bad area. There had been robberies in that area, most of them with a firearm. Not unusual for that to happen. It's also important to note that Seth Rich's hands were marked up, indicating that he fought off the people who attacked him and likely tried to run away. And then they shot him. And then they, the kids that did it ran, they got scared, didn't take his wallet. Okay. So 
the people who shot him ran away. They didn't take his wallet. They didn't, they didn't rob him. Um, but if they had, this would have appeared like just a normal robbery in that area. You know, something that unfortunately wouldn't have been super surprising, but because they didn't rob him, that also makes it suspicious as to why they decided to kill him after getting into this fight. Right? Like, why do you kill someone who you can't, if you can't successfully rob someone, you get into a fight with them and he runs away. Why are you going to go ahead and shoot them? Right. You're just going to let them like, see what I'm saying? It, Usually you fight off a robber, you just run away, and the robber just runs away too. <laughs> they decided to kill him, so that makes it very curious. Let the cops do this, and here's what nobody knows, what I'm telling you. Now, maybe you know something about it. When you have a death like that, D.C. cops, if you're dead, you generally don't just go, you have to find out what the mo- what's going on. You, you have to get to the kid's apartment and see what you can find. If, if he's dead, you don't need a warrant, but most cops get a warrant because they don't know if the guy has a, has a, a, a roommate. You need a warrant. So they get a warrant. So the cops have a dead person who doesn't appear to have been robbed, shot in the back. Looks like he got into a fist fight with someone based on injuries to his hands. And yes, I'm aware that the reports that Seth Rich was still alive when he went to the hospital and all that, and all that stuff. And then the doctor changed. I'm aware, I'm aware of all that, that, but we're not getting into that part of it right now. We're, let's focus on this right here and what Hirsch is saying. Um, so the cops need, the cops want to go and investigate why this person, what is the motive here? If the motive wasn't robbery because the guy's not robbed, then what is the motive? Is it because he had some personal, is there was something personal going on between him? Did he have enemies? So they need a warrant. Now, because the person is deceased, you don't have to get a warrant to go and investigate their home or their resident, but it's best to get a warrant. So the cops do go and get a warrant so they can go to Seth Rich's residence and they can try and find any evidence that Seth Rich had someone who was an enemy, such as a threatening email, a threatening letter, uh, something that would indicate that this there was a what the motive would be i'm just telling you there is such a thing they go in the house and they can't do much with his computer's password the cops don't know much about it so the dc cops they have a cyber unit in dc and they're more sophisticated they come and look at it the idea is maybe he's had a, a series of exchanges with somebody who says i'm going to kill you motherfucker over a girl or, and they can't get in the, the, uh, the cyber guys are a little better but they can't make sense of it so they call is very important they can't get into his laptop. Their cyber guys have some success, but they cannot get into his laptop. Well, the, they call the FBI cyber unit. The DC, the DC unit, the Washington field office, is a hot shit unit. The guy running the Washington field office, he's like, he's like, you know, he's like a three star at an army base. He's already looking for four. You know what I mean? He's, he's going to go with a top job. There's a cyber unit there that's excellent. What you get in a warrant, the, the public information you get in a warrant doesn't include, uh, it, it, uh, it, it does not include the affidavit underlying what, why you're going in, what the reasons are. That's almost never available on 
um, um, I can tell you that. The existence of a warrant is a public document 99% of the time. So um, they, and the same warrant, they call in the Fed. The Feds get through, and here's what they find. This is according to the FBI report. MPD. Now remember, the FBI did not investigate Seth Rich's murder. It wasn't a federal crime. It's a it's a crime that the MPD, the Metropolitan Police, are going to investigate. They deal with murders. So they're investigating this murder, and they have Seth Rich's laptop, and even their cyber unit can't get into Seth Rich's laptop. They can't get access to what they need to get access to. And I've seen other reports that it was really strange, really strange how they couldn't get into this laptop, that there was strange things going on with it. Um, and I can't – I didn't grab that before this the show today, but there are reports that there were some really strange things going on with his laptop. And I believe they're talking about the personal laptop because it's MPD who has the personal laptop. The, the original, the physical cop, the physical original laptop. And then the, an image of its drives has been given over to the FBI. And that's what Huddleston is trying to get access to. Now, the reason that the FBI got involved in Seth Rich's murder is because the MPD, this is my understanding, because the MPD could not get access to his personal laptop. So they needed the FBI cybercrime unit to try and crack into it. And that's what this lawsuit is trying this now trying to get access to like, hey, we need to see the 302 report that Cy Hirsch is talking about in this audio. That's what that's that's what they need. And here's what the FBI the FBI is their cybercrime unit is successful in getting into it. What they find is he makes first of all, you have to know you have to you have to know some basic facts. One of the basic facts is no, there's no DNC or Podesta email that that exists beyond May 22nd, May 21st, 22nd. The last email for either one of those groups. And so this, so what the report says that sometime in late spring, we're talking about June, you know, summers in June 21st. Late spring would be after, I, I presume, I don't know, I just say it says late spring, early summer. Uh, he makes contact with WikiLeaks. That's in his computer, and he makes contact. Now, I have to be careful because I, uh, I don't, I met Julian in Europe, Julian, 10, 12 years. I say the fuck away from people like that. You know, I, and he said, invited me, and when I'm in London, I always get a message, come see me at the Ecuadorian embassy, and there's no fucking way I'm going there. I've got enough trouble without getting photographed. Every fucking age. He's under total surveillance by everybody. And but anyway, they found what he had done. He had submitted a series of documents of emails, some juicy emails from the DNC. And you know, by the way, all this shit about the DNC. Um, you know, I'm going to make a point that's kind of a side point here. Um, it's relevant, but it's not the main point of this whole topic. But Cy Hirsch mentions that he stays away from Julian Assange and he's saying, I don't want to be photographed there. I've, I've been invited to go to the embassy many times every time I'm in London, but I stay away from people like that, meaning I stay away from people like Julian Assange. And go ahead and open up a can of worms here and I'm going to try and close it immediately. <laughs> so y'all bear with me. Um, I think that Julian Assange is a 
I think Julian Assange is what Pompeo said he was. It's uh, WikiLeaks is a stateless intel agency. And Cy Hirsch is saying, I stay away from spooks. I'm staying, I stay away from spooks like Julian Assange, who are these stateless intel agencies who gather information on others and you don't know who you can trust and you don't know who they're working for. Um, it's dangerous to get close to people like that for obvious reasons. So he's staying away from Julian Assange. And the, what, uh, the re- one of the things I like about what he says there is about how everybody is watching that place. I'm not going to go near that place and get photographed by 20 different government agencies from various countries who are all watching the Ecuadorian embassy at that time. Um, makes a lot of sense. Now, the point I want to make about that, and it's fresh in my mind because I had a discussion about it on True Social the other day, that I am of the opinion that it does not make sense that Pompeo wanted to assassinate Julian Assange, that there was some plot by Pompeo and the CIA to assassinate Julian Assange. I don't believe that. I believe that is fake news. And I believe that Michael Isikoff is actually the source of that fake news, if I recall that first article right, and he's not a credible journalist. Um, It doesn't make sense that Pompeo wanted to assassinate Julian Assange, and I'll tell you why. Because it makes more sense that Trump's enemies would want to assassinate Julian Assange, doesn't it? Doesn't it make more sense that the deep state would want Julian Assange dead versus Trump and team wanting Julian Assange dead? You would think that Trump and team would want to protect Julian Assange. And I'm of the opinion that Trump, Barr, and Pompeo indicted Julian Assange to protect him. Not not because not not because they secretly wanted him dead and they're trying to they wanted to persecute him for the rest of his life i think that they wanted to protect him from the deep state who wanted to assassinate him so they indicted him so that he would be put in belmarsh one of the most secure facilities in the whole world that's what i think And whether your opinion of Julian Assange is that he's great, he's a hero, or he's a terrible person, or somewhere in between, whatever your opinion of it doesn't really matter, I think he needed to be protected. And the best way to do that, the available route to do that, was to indict him, as ugly as that is. It protects him from the deep state. So... And that's why I'm one of the reasons I'm really excited for Julian Assange to come to America and get extradited here and have a trial is because I think that trial is going to be really, really, really important for our side and for journalists everywhere. Um, So anyway, that's what I think is going on. I think we're going to find out one day, by, by the way, that fake news that Pompeo wanted to assassinate Julian Assange. I think we're going to find out that it was actually other people who wanted to assassinate him and they're trying to sh- blame it on Pompeo and this and his CIA when he ran the CIA. I think we're going to find out that it's the deep state who actually I think that's the morsel of truth in that story is that it wasn't Pompeo, it was the deep state. Anyway, back to this audio recording. Where the heck 
it wasn't hacked, but whatever happened, it, the, the Democrats themselves wrote this shit. You know what I mean? All I know is that he offered a sample, an extensive sample, you know, I'm sure dozens of emails, and said, I want money. So, Seth Rich contacts WikiLeaks. According to this, according to what Cy Hirsch is saying and what, according to the information he got from his inside source within the FBI who read the 302, that Seth Rich got in contact with WikiLeaks and gave them a sam- offered them a sample of emails of what he could provide to them. That it, the emails weren't hacked. Um, that that's BS and that he wanted money and he had a password protected Dropbox for WikiLeaks to look into to, to see the sample of the legit emails that he had. That later WikiLeaks did get the password. He had a Dropbox, a protected Dropbox, which isn't hard to do. I mean, you don't have to be a wizard, IT wizard. You know, he was certainly, you know, he's not a dumb kid. Uh, they got access to the Dropbox. He also, and this is also in the FBA report, he also let people know with whom he was dealing. And I don't know how he dealt. Uh, I'll tell you about WikiLeaks in a second. I don't know how he dealt uh, with the WikiLeaks and the, the mechanism, but he also, the word was passed according to the FBA report. I also shared this box with a couple of friends. So if anything happened. He also shared this Dropbox with a couple of friends in case anything happened to him. Now, now, this is according to the FBI 302 report, remember? So, that would mean the FBI is aware of that. So, the FBI has likely interviewed those friends and whoever they are. That's something really interesting. That's a piece of this story that hasn't been explored very much, I don't think. Um, that's another reason that this 302 report could be so interesting. It could bust open a big chunk of this story. Um, okay. So. I, I don't know what that means. I don't know whether he was anyway, but WikiLeaks got access and, uh, before he was killed, I can tell you right now, Brennan's an asshole. Uh, I've known all these people for years. Clapper sort of a better guy, but not rocket scientists. The NSA guys are fucking moron. And they all, you know, the trouble with all those guys is that the only, the only way they're going to make it to a board or two and get, you know, by, by, uh, hired by SAIC to deliver some things. Now, for whatever reason, Cy Hirsch does not like Rogers. He does not like Admiral Rogers at all, at all, has a super negative opinion of him, but he also has a super negative opinion of John Brennan. So we can take the good and the bad with that as far as that goes. Is this who you stayed in? With Trump, they're gone. You know, they're done. They're going to live in their pension. They're not going to make it. And I got to tell you, guys in that job, they don't want to live in their pension. They, they want to be on board like they're make six hundred thousand bucks for going to four visits. I have somebody, I have somebody on the inside. You know, I've been around a long time. And I write a lot of stuff. I have somebody on the inside who will go and read a file for me. This person is unbelievably accurate and careful. He's a very high level guy. He'll do a favor. You're just going to have to trust me. I have what they call in my business, long-form journalism. I have a narrative of how that whole fucking thing began. It's a Brennan operation. It was an American disinformation and fucking the fucking president at one point. Brennan. Brennan. It was a disinformation camp operation. It was a disinformation operation. Now, I want to... um. 
I want to, at this point, give you guys my hypothesis, my theory, whatever, um, of what I think is going on. I, I love this audio of Cy Hirsch because he's speaking as a reporter who has an inside source in the FBI who has access to the 302, read it and conveyed this information to him. Now, how much credit, how much weight you want to give to it, how, how accurate you think it is, that's up to you. But I love listening to Cy Hirsch, whether I agree with him or not. And I think he is a credible reporter. I think he's among the most credible, um, regardless of whether I agree with his opinions. What I think happened, and um, this is kind of, see if I can explain this correctly. Um, We'll we'll be done with the audio now. I'm going to explain what I think happened, and then um, we'll close out the show shortly. Uh, By the way, Sammy the Squirrel, good morning. Thank you very much for the coffee and cigar money. Thanks, man. Um, Sammy the Squirrel is so supportive of all the shows that I do and Badlands. Dude, you're awesome. Thank you so much. All right. So what I, my, my, my hypothesis of what happened with Seth Rich and the DNC hack and all of that is that I think that some of everything happened. So like pieces of everything that has been alleged that happened with the, all of this, I think pieces of it are, are true. Like all the theories, all the theories, everything you've heard about what happened with the DNC hack and Seth rich. There's pieces of what people have said that are true and there's pieces that are not. And I think there's a massive disinformation campaign that was waged to try and obscure some true things that were not favorable to the media and not favorable to the Democrats. And there's some other things that uh, were promoted more than they should because it was favorable to what the Democrats and especially Hillary Clinton wanted to have out there. I think that the DNC was hacked, but it wasn't hacked to get the emails that Seth Rich turned over to WikiLeaks. We know from uh, the Mueller report and from other investigations that the Russians were inside the DNC with fancy bear and whatnot. And they were in there for a long time, just chilling. They had, they had access to the DNC servers and they could just chill there um, without taking anything. They just observed they were in this, they were in there for a long time. I think Seth Rich, so I think the DNC hack, like there was a hack of the DNC, but I think it's been, there's been a purposeful disinformation campaign to connect the DNC hack to what Seth Rich did and WikiLeaks, and those things are not actually connected. I think that they're separate, but the, but the Clintons and the DNC have an interest in connecting them because they want the Russia collude, the Trump Russia collusion narrative. Take yourself back to 2016, and take yourself back to what st- what was happening then in the spring of 2016. the The Clintons and the DNC and the mainstream media 
wanted to create the narrative that there was Trump-Russia collusion. And to do that, they had the Alpha Bank hoax. They had the email hack server saying that Russia did it to help Trump. Um, and then we had Spygate and we had the Steele dossier. We had all of those things because they wanted to push Trump-Russia collusion. But to do that, they had to connect those, they had to make those things connect. So they did, they did everything. They had all of those scandals, all those hoaxes. Plus they also had plants inside Trump's campaign. They had all sorts of people trying to get into Trump's campaign to to create connections between Trump and Russia. I think that Seth Rich did obtain emails and that like Cy Hirsch just says the 302 report said that he did obtain emails and that he did turn them over to WikiLeaks. But I think the Russians also were in the DNC servers and were chilling there. And then here's the really interesting bit. I think the DNC and Hillary Clinton campaign knew they were there and wanted them there. I think the DNC left the door open for the Russians to be in there in the first place because they wanted the Trump-Russia collusion narrative. So they left it insecure on purpose because they wanted the place hacked. Because if you think about it, the emails that got out and what came out of the DNC hack that was supposedly supposed to be so damaging to Democrats, it wasn't that damaging. And besides, she was never supposed to lose. So they didn't care about risking this. They didn't care about emails having to do with how they rigged the primary. She was never going to lose. So who cares? The whole point is just to damage Trump. The whole point is just to create the Trump-Russia collusion narrative so that everybody gets mad at Russia and so that everybody's mad at Trump and that's all discredited. That was the whole point. Now, next thing that's interesting. I think that the DNC, that the hackers who did this were not Russian government hackers. I don't think the Russian government did it. I think that... XBT out of Crete and Olga Galkina, who worked with Danchenko and Chuck Dolan, Hillary Clinton's hack, who was in Russia. I think that they used Russian and Ukrainian hackers, the same groups that Felix Sater flipped years before. I think they hired them to leave a, a trail that made it seem like the hack came from Russia. But actually, it was done by a team of people who were contracted and hired by the DNC to hack them and leave that trail. I think it's another hoax. I think I think it was, they wanted to create the Trump-Russia collusion and the Russian hack of the DNC narrative. So what did they do? They hired some mercenary hackers who could leave a trail that connected to that. And would lead investigators to conclude that. 
And then they left the DNC left the door wide open for them to come in and do it. But separate from that, you have Seth Rich, who acted on his own. And because he acted on his own and did what he did, that mucked up their DNC hack operation. So after he got murdered, they had to launch a disinformation campaign to try and connect all of these things together and to twist them up into a pretzel so that people would not understand what I just told you. And instead would think that there was no hack at all and that Seth Rich did this. And then you have like it, 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 it makes it where you have these, it changed the shape of all the puzzle pieces. That's, that's what I think they did. Um, so that's why I say, I think a little bit of every theory you've heard about it is true. I think a little bit of it is true. Not everything. And all of this gets into this, this soup, this messy soup of, of things and everybody's trying to deconstruct it. Um, so, and what ends up happening, see, like the result of this is that Mueller report ends up concluding that there was a DNC hack. And then we have these indictments for these Russian hackers um, that the work laptop um, is part of, of that investigation. That's what, what it's an evidence for, as well as for the DNC hack. But then, you have people that are mostly on our side, you know, who, when you mention DNC hack, say there was no hack because they're only referencing what Seth Rich did, which wasn't a hack. So they, they discredit the actual hack that happened where both can be true at the same time that Seth Rich did what he did. And also fancy bear did what they did. So, yeah, it all, that's, that's what I think. And I'm super interested in, uh, in this 302, of course, as I'm sure you are too. And I'm, I'm aware of what the drops say. And I don't, I, I like, I don't disbelieve that, but I think if you take my hypothesis that I just put forth, you can look at the drops and you can see that my hypothesis, hypothesis doesn't actually conflict with what the drops say, um, on this matter. And yeah, I think it was MS-13 who did it. Yeah, I do. Um, and I think they they had to... They, they, had, they had to connect these things. Brennan, Brennan and the deep state had to connect these things into a mess in order to obscure that it was the DNC who was actually responsible for the hack in the first place and that Hillary Clinton hired the hackers to do it. So, and that, that's one of the things about this, uh, this filing that we have here that is so interesting, this audio being part of it and the admission from the FBI recently that, um, Seth Rich is connected to WikiLeaks and these bullet points right here. 
So these are right here. See, they got, yeah. All right, fam. That's my show for today. And I hope you liked it. I am out of time. If you did like it, please give me a thumbs up over on Rumble and share the show. Um, If you're on Foxhole, drop those red pills, share the show over there. Thank you very much for watching on Foxhole. And um, yeah, I hope you guys have a great weekend. If you're looking for more ways to support the show, um, then you can, um, you know, go to my description, go to my link tree. You'll find, you'll find all my social media there and also the links to Benson Honey Farms, buymeacoffee.com, my Substack. All that kind of stuff. Those are the best. Those are the best ways. Those three right there are the best way to support the show. Um, really appreciate you guys. You guys make the sh- the show possible, and I love doing this. I look forward to every show. And uh, yeah, I just I just can't I just can't thank y'all enough for the support that you give. I will be back on um, Sunday night for Defected with Burning Bright. By the way, we I joined Patel and Burning Bright for devolution power hour on wednesday it was awesome we had an awesome show on wednesday night and we got into some q drops we talked about um the ig we talked about um storage we talked about huber we talked about durham it was an awesome show we did a live we were we didn't even mean to we just started talking and started digging together and it ended up being a two-hour power hour (laughs) or maybe two and a half hours it was such a good show and uh, I seriously enjoyed it. It didn't feel like we were doing a show. It just felt like we were just friends, just nerding out together. Um, it was great. So if you if you haven't watched it, you really, really should. Um, anyway, I'm going to enjoy the weekend. I hope you do too. I'm going to watch some motorsport on Sunday, and then I will see you guys on Defected on Badlands Media on Rumble, 9 p.m. Eastern. So... Uh, Y'all stay blessed. Remember, we're not going to win every battle, but we are going to win this war. We are going to win this war. Let me get this music queued up. One day I'm going to like perfectly in this show as if I know what I'm doing. There we go. Yeah. Have a good one, guys.